And welcome to Stepping Into CI's main podcast series where we explore comprehensible input and the reasons we do it and what we do and how we do it and all of that sort of thing. Um, I'm Rachel Ash. Also with me are Miriam Patrick and Bob Patrick. Um, no relation. A real relation. It's been a real relation for 30 years. <laughs> Not giving it away. Anybody's great, uh, age. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm Rachel Ash. I have been teaching. This is my 15th year teaching, and I started using CI fairly early in my career. I was in my second year, um, and I have spent a lot of time researching and learning about it. Well, so one of the things that we really want to explore today, um, the, the sort of central point, is, is what is it about comprehensible input that makes it work? And, um, I, you know, I want to give a little personal history because I didn't start teaching with it. Mm -hmm. um, I've been teaching. This is my 28th year of teaching. And I started teaching like a lot of Latin teachers, and that is the way that I was taught in, in traditional modes. But what, what initially moved me was the reasonability of, of thinking that one ought to be able to speak a language that one quote-unquote knows. And as a Latin teacher, I felt like, I walked around knowing Latin, and yet um, early in my career, I was working at, at night at a local university on a degree in Spanish. I've always loved languages, and so the opportunity to work on another language uh, has never been anything except an invitation for me. And I would come out of those classes um, stuck in Spanish, uh, with you know, driving myself home, having Spanish thoughts and, and, and ongoing internal Spanish conversations. And it just struck me that there was no way for me to do that in Latin. I didn't know how to do that in Latin. Mm -hmm. so, That's a wonderful feeling, though, right? To no. be stuck in a language other, uh, other. <laughs> other than the one you grew up speaking. I think that's just really cool. Exactly. And it, and it has extensions to it as well. I mean, the, the ability to sit down and read something in a language that you know without having to stop and look up every other word. I had so never cool. had that experience in Latin. Right. But I was having that experience weekly in Spanish. And I felt like I knew more Latin than I did Spanish, but that didn't seem to be true in the use of a language. Well, and I had a similar type of experience in that I had this moment where I was like, I can't read Latin. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know how to take it apart and figure out what every word is, how every word is supposedly being used. Yeah. The puzzle. The puzzle. And don't get me wrong, that's why I loved Latin. But... <laughs> At the same time, there was this major frustration with the fact I couldn't just sit and read it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So. Well, and, and that, you know, it, 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 what you just admitted to is something that is very difficult for um, Latin teachers to admit, and that is, do I, do I really know this language? Am I able to read this language? And, um, and then we have to stop and ask ourselves, what do we mean when we say we can read Latin because stopping to look up every other word isn't reading. You mean um, speed translating isn't reading? It's not. Yeah, it's not. Whoa. And, and that that's just a, <laughs> that was another one of those, you know, moments that I came to in my own experience um, as a, a teacher sometime in the first 10 years of my career 
is that what I was calling knowing a language and what I was calling reading probably weren't. I knew a lot about the language and I mm -hmm. could hold my own in any grammar discussion with any Latin teacher around. I just couldn't hold my own with most Latin texts. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's discouraging. And I mean, you can't enjoy the text then because you can't just get into it and appreciate what they're doing with it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, one of the, uh, a long sort of parallel with these kind of experiences, um, I, I was noticing, again, this is in the first 10 years of my teaching career, that my Latin classes seemed to be pretty selective and elite. And by that I mean, not that there was anything wrong with any of those kids, they were wonderful kids, but but we all, and by we all, I mean I as a teacher, counselors, uh, administrators, parents, probably even students talking among themselves had all participated in a selection process mm. that basically said, you don't need to take Latin unless you are an academically over an academic overachiever, unless you are already at the top of your class making great grades in in uh, language arts and great grades in math and, and that sort of thing. Well, and why would you want to? Why would you want to take Latin? Because it's just so hard. Well, that's, yeah. that's what I heard when I first started teaching were kids who were like, well, I can't, I'm not going to take Latin because it's really hard. And I hear it from counselors and teachers all the time. You know, I hear that your program's growing, blah, blah, blah. That's really interesting considering how hard Latin is, right? Right. Well, parents still ask, mm -hmm. you know, sure. well, isn't it going to be really hard for my student? And I said, it's only hard depending on how you teach it. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've told the story to you, the two of you before, but last year I was, we were talking about language and what my students were going to do in the next year. And they said something, I don't remember what led me into it. And I said, well, you guys, you know that a lot of people consider Latin really hard. And one of my students looked at me like so incredulously and was like, really? Like it was the most insane thing he'd ever heard of. And I thought, okay, well, good. That's what I want you to feel <laughs> yeah, about yeah. it. But um, I noticed that we're all like a little bit uh, scratchy in the throat because it's Friday. So it's almost like we've been <laughs> teaching for eight hours every day. Right. For the last um, three weeks, yeah. right? So just to kind of make sure that, that everybody's on the same page, we're, our big goal today is to talk about what, why do we teach CI? And so Bob and I have both talked a little bit about why we started teaching CI. Um, and it's a similar thing. You felt like you couldn't function in the language, and you also noticed how elite your classes are. Yeah. Um, and my, I had definitely the elite aspect of it. And then also, for me, I knew I couldn't function in the language like it was a language. Mm -hmm. So, Miriam, why don't you tell us about you? Well, I'm not okay. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I am at a, I mean, I'm, okay, I feel like, and I know you're both going to laugh at me, but I'm a slightly different generation when it comes to teaching. You are in different, different <laughs> I was taught with grammar translation methods, although I was actually in your class, and, yep. and they were not quite like that, but grammar translation methods, and then all throughout college was grammar translation methods, and then I started taking my actual teaching methods courses, and I was told to do them in English. Everyone else, we want you to create things in the target language. But Miriam, you can do it in English because you're a Latin yeah. teacher. And uh, I think your response to me, Dad, was, well, why not just do it in Latin? Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started to do that. And then I've kind of been teaching with CI as well as I could slash understood it since my first year. See, and let's not, let's not let that slip by. I mean, there's another layer of those who participate in keeping Latin this very difficult and elite subject. Uh -huh. Even professors of language education mm -hmm. have learned 
and, and, and they've learned it from somebody else. These are not mean people, but they've learned to tell Latin teachers, oh, you don't really have to do what we know are best practices in second language education. You just keep doing the thing that you've always done. And what we know is that as long as Latin teachers keep doing the things they've always done, Latin programs will continue to get smaller, they'll continue to be thought of as difficult and beyond the pale of most people, and eventually, and it won't Come take obsolete. very long, yeah. Lat well, it will not only, it probably is obsolete in most people's minds, mm -hmm. it will simply disappear from the educational landscape. Well, and I'd love to give a shout out to my teaching, language teaching methods uh, professor, Teresa Bell, because she... Well, she did do the, there were two of us that were Latin teachers that were in her class, and she did do the, well, if you're not comfortable with this, you don't have to. Mm -hmm. But she, the moment I said, no, I want to teach it like a language, she was super welcoming, and mm -hmm. she yeah. definitely like encouraged me to explore this, um, gave me lots of information on connections. She's always been that type of person for me, even now, once in a while, we get to see each other at ACTFL. I mean, now I live five states away, so it's not as easy. But we often right. see each other at like actual national mm -hmm. conference. And yeah. it's really great because we can check in with each other. And she's, like I said, she was just always so supportive of the idea of Latin not yeah. treating itself as a different language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, look, with our, with our sort of personal stories kind of on the table now, why don't we take uh, some big chunk of our time here and look at um, the founding principles of comprehensible input and, and, and we can each, you know, offer some commentary on why we think these, how we know these things work on, on our experience. So, mm. uh, Stephen Krashen is the, um, is, is the one who put together the, the original five hypotheses of uh, comprehensible input. We now refer to them as principles of comprehensible input. And I just want to make the point that uh, because this is often misunderstood in especially online conversations, comprehensible input is not a methodology. Mm. Um, it is a philosophy. It is, is and I've, I've had this conversation with a couple of other folks who really get it. These principles are so important to have in our minds as we approach the work that we do so that we can constantly ask ourselves, Am I tending to this principle? Am I tending to that principle in whatever ways we practice? So there, there are many practices, there are many activities, there are many kinds of things that we can ask students to engage us with in the classroom mm -hmm. that fit under and within these principles of, of comprehensible input. So, yes. you know, the first one, at, at least the way I order them, is there's a difference in acquiring a language and learning about a language. And we've all already you know, hinted yeah. at that issue. I love your car analogy. Do you remember your sure, analogy? Sure, sure. You can that study. Is... You can study auto mechanics all that you want to. Yep. Um, from a book, and you can pass all the tests about what's in that book, but that doesn't mean you can drive a car. Right. Um, and it probably doesn't mean that you can repair a car say, either. <laughs> also, probably can't fix a car. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, you know, we've just finished the first three weeks of school um, for 2017-2018. Um, Rachel, you and I are spending some part of our day with Latin One students, mm -hmm. and I know right now that we have almost 300 Latin One students walking around this building who have some command of about 50 or 60 words right. that three weeks ago they did not have. Right. And by command, I mean when we use them, and when we use them in context, they understand. Right, and I think it's important to note that the, both of those things really have to be present. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, you know, the context is really important, and 
And you don't hold on to information unless you have a context. A meaningful context. Yeah. A meaningful context, yeah. So, I mean, so we've been, we've spent the last three weeks doing all kinds of things. A lot of total physical response, a lot of circling, um, circling those words over and over again in meaningful ways, some personal questions and answers. Mm-hmm. Um, we've played some games with them that allow them to do more of that repetitious kind of stuff. And, and they have begun to acquire this language through those 50 or 60 words. That 50 or 60 words in three weeks. Right. And that's it's a nice not number. Even, it yeah. is. And it's not even three times five is 15 days because we know we've had to give up at least two days to administrativa. Um, so <laughs> in really less than three weeks, they've acquired 50 or 60 words in context. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know that none of those Latin one students would be able to talk about what a declension is, what an accusative is, what um, uh, a third person singular means, even though they're using those things meaningfully. I don't know about you, Rachel. I've had Latin one students say, how come that word has an M on the end of it? Already, yes. And I give them a really quick answer. Oh, it's because it's the direct object. Yeah, and And does that satisfy them? It does, those at least. I mean. Mm -hmm. They probably are asking because they are that type of observe, the type of student, and they probably have the command of English grammar even to be able to understand that. But they don't need more inf- information than that. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. And some of them are already kind of using it correctly yeah. when they ask questions. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So look, I mean, so three weeks in, we have Latin one students, and by the way, if it's not obvious, you know, with 300 students in Latin one, our Latin <laughs> program is huge. They are all kinds of learners. We have a lot of special ed kids. Before I walked into this um, podcast, I got one more IEP uh, added to the probably, I don't know, dozen that I have already. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have all kinds of learners, um, everything from academically advanced to those who are really struggling. But they're all making progress with this language. Um, They can read and understand things in Latin at three weeks that I could not 43 years oh, yeah. ago when I <laughs> yes. first started Latin. When we were only trying to dice- decipher sure. the language right. instead. So so there's the flip-flop. So for me in Latin 1, when I was 14 years old, almost my entire time in Latin was spent learning about the language. This is first declension. This is nominative case. This is genitive mm-hmm. case. And I couldn't do anything with all of that. Right. These students have practically no grasp of what the language is about, but they're able to understand and read to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Well, and Miriam and I have actually just been talking this week about the, the not only all types of learners, but all types of students are in our classes. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, just because we've, we've both have, I've gotten to take students from like Latin 1 up through Latin 4 this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the difference between that group, which is an awesome group of students. I am so excited about these students. But they don't even quite reflect the diversity of the school yeah. that Miriam's Latin 3s do. Because within that year, between yes. our mm-hmm. sets of programs, I guess, I right. to say, there was a big difference in how... How that was perceived. How it was perceived. It shows. Which mm-hmm. means we were we were successful in getting one of those groups who helped define who would take Latin to change their mind. Right. And that was the students themselves. Yes. And they helped have been helping us create this whole new thing. Yeah. So let's move on to the second principle, just so we don't run out of time. When the student <laughs> when the student receives understandable messages in 
in our case Latin, in the target language, she will acquire the ability to understand those messages. And so really, and I say this all the time in workshops, I'm exaggerating when I say it, but my only job is to deliver understandable messages in Latin hour after hour after hour. Of course, it's not my only job. We were all just <laughs> complaining about how long our lists of to-do things are <laughs> here Friday. on Friday afternoon. The right? kids are gone and we're getting started. <laughs> but really, if that principle's not in place, if I'm not mm -hmm. clear that my job is to deliver understandable Latin to the group that walks in this hour, I'm really spinning my wheels and wasting my time and theirs because they're not going to make progress. They only make progress when we deliver understandable Latin messages. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it, that's definitely like, that is the thing that we look for, right? Comprehensible. It's in the name right. and it's really, really one of the most important aspects right. of it. So, th so this, is, this is where I think we have to encourage Latin teachers who may be you know, new to this or, or in their first years of this to, to really make a commitment to struggle. And I mean, who wants to sign up for struggle, right? But by that, I mean, this is where, this is a philosophy, not a method, is, is really real. Um, if you understand that it's your job to deliver understandable messages every day, then, then what you really have to struggle with are the dozens you know, mm -hmm. maybe it's hundreds of ways of doing that. There are lots of ways of doing that. Before I walked in here, I was working on a warm-up that we're going to use next week in Latin 1, and I'm calling it Quid is Dissimile. What's different? And on every slide that we put up, there are going to be four words from the groups of words that we've been learning, and the students are going to, in partners, have to discuss, mostly in English, among themselves, which one of those words is the different one, and why right. is it different? Is it because of the kind of object it is? Is it because of the kind of action that it is? Is it because of the ending on the word? There's one or two of those, you know. So you're, but the, but they're going to have to discuss it, and then we're going to discuss it with them, and it, it begins to move them a little bit further in how they understand the mm -hmm. use of these words mm -hmm. in Latin. So that's just one right. of dozens of ways that, that you can deliver understandable messages in the language. And the, so on the flip side, because you're focusing on Latin 1 this year, yep. that's what you're in charge of. I'm teaching Latin 3. Mm -hmm. We're working with qualities and virtues, uh, which is not a concrete idea. It's a very abstract idea, especially when you get into the messiness that is our virtues today, our qualities today are not the ones that were valued mm -hmm. by the Romans. And so we just spent a whole week exploring 15 of these in various and sundry ways. And we've talked about them by their definition. We've done you know, similar things, broken them down to categories, which one is different. And what ultimately made these, I think, was the clicking point for the kids was when I asked them which ones are important to you. Mm -hmm. And then we explored why these are important to them and why, and, and, and it was interesting to see who spoke up about what and what they've written down on their papers for me. Um, and then today we did a timed write for about 15-ish, 20 minutes. Like I said, today was a, a lesson in patience, listening, <laughs> listening skills. And see, and, and but, is... but they got to talk about themselves. And, you know, you say timed write, and they go, oh. And then I said, but we're going to talk about you and your qualities. And they went, oh. It's a little bit better. As, yeah. yeah. And it was it added that compelling piece to the comprehensible piece. No, I was just going to say, this is the interface between um, starting with where students are, and, and that creates the compelling factor, and it's why I say you still have to be the Latin expert in the room. 
So they can talk, they, they, they will bring to the table what is important to them about this particular quality or this particular topic. And then you as the, ex, the Latin expert in the room, you know what they don't understand about the ancient Roman context. And yep. you bring that in to say, mm -hmm. you know, while you value that, Romans really valued this. And that, that keeps a lively conversation as well. That third, actually feeds right into the third point because we did a timed right today. Input has led to output. Yes, that when they get enough input, they will be able to speak. They will be able to write. If you want them to do either, that's called output, and it's always dependent on the input. I've, I've always said that output is a reflection of input. You know, if my kids are able to do X, Y, Z, it's because of the input that I've given yep. them. Yep. And if they're if they're not able to do X, Y, Z, and I expected them to be able to do X, Y, Z, then I have to go back and look at what I did and what I gave them, and whether or not A, it was really appropriate, or B, if it was really comprehensible yep. slash compelling. Yep. So then, look, the next principle we could spend three shows talking about easily: <laughs> stress kills. Mm language acquisition. Well, this is the, mm. the caring aspect of the three C's yeah. of comprehensible input. You've got comprehensible, you've got compelling. Copyright Rachel Ash. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> that was, that was, I, I like alliteration. So I wanted a way to talk about the stress level, so I made it caring. Caring, so, sure. Comprehensible, compelling, and caring. And that part is really important, too, because they have to trust you. Today yeah. was mm -hmm. an interesting day that way because it was their first dictation for my Latin ones. My Latin fours and my APs, they trust me because they've been with me for four yep. years. But my yep. Latin ones are still getting used to me. They like me, mm -hmm. you know, but um, the, you know, I'm still proving myself to them. Sure. And uh, so when we did a dictation, and this, you know, this was an introductory dictation, which is different than an end. So they, these are words they don't know. Yeah. And this is their first time to try to write these sounds down. Um, and I did everything I could to keep it low, but it probably didn't get low until after the second sentence. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. You know? Now, after that second sentence, they started to get a flow, yes. and they felt yes. a lot better, and everything was fine. Sure. But definitely, you know, you have to, that's why I was so careful with those mm -hmm. first couple of sentences, and reinforcing that no matter what, guys, you can get 100, all you have to do is correct it if you sure. get it wrong. Yeah. You know, dictation, I think, is a really good example of an activity that, depending on what way you do it, can either really kill the stress mm -hmm. or kill the kids. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, like there's a dictation, particularly, you know, in a language where sounds are slightly different. And in Latin, the sounds are a little bit different mm -hmm. every here and there than what we might expect in English. And, um, you know, you can, you can kill a kid pretty quickly by giving them a word that is impossible, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, once you've built that trust... And you've you've lowered that stress level by saying you can still do this by doing X Y Z. You can then actually use it to kind of I don't want to say trick them, but to give them that because then it becomes fun. Right. Then it because that's what it is. Then it becomes fun throwing out words that sound weird, but you have to you have to lower the stress level right. first. Well, they have to trust you that this is not going to harm them. Right. Well, and that was just going to say you this, this, you can almost always count on laughter and humor to reduce stress levels, oh, yeah. especially if it's laughter at your expense, oh, yeah. never oh, yeah. at a student's expense. And, oh. what, you know, as you say, once you get to know students, once they've been with you for a while, once they trust you, you can even risk some 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 fun making with and about a student, but never with students yeah. who don't know you. But you can always make fun yeah. of yourself, and oh, they'll yeah. always laugh, and that will always bring the stress down. We um, Just a very quick example, we did that in Latin 3 with the qualities they've... Um, 
so blessed. These children have bestowed upon me all the amazing qualities of ancient Rome. I, I just <laughs> I demonstrate them all. And then we got to one salubritas, which is you know sanity and health in your mind, your body, and your life. And so I said, you know, oh, I have good health in my life because I love my students and I love my family, and I clearly have good health in my mind. And then I said, oh, but I don't have good health in my, my it's a big, it's a, it's a running joke, but there's also concern with my feet. And, and the, like, you know, and the kids are like, oh, yes, Miss Patrick's feet. And I said, so I do not demonstrate this. And, there, and, and it's, it's laughter. I made fun of myself mm-hmm. right. um, in, a, in, a, in a way that, that, that lowered the stress level for them and helped them, helped them out and... and Made it a little more fun. Yeah. yeah. So again, we could uh, so yeah, many examples. We should come back and revisit that. But the last one that I'll bring up for today, really, this kind of rounds out the, the basic uh, CI principles, is that the rules of a language matter. And 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 I'll go on with that in a minute. But I want to stop and say how many times people misunderstand those of us who are doing CI work and say, oh, they don't teach grammar. Simply not true. The rules of the language matter, but only when you know them, and only when you have time to apply them, and only when you're editing language that you can already produce. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that, there's so many conditions in that. And, and historically, um, language teachers, not just Latin teachers, have attempted to force students to do that from the very beginning. Right. Listen to it again. You have to know the rules, you have to have time to apply them, and you have to be using them to edit language that you have already produced. Imagine if you told your three-year-old child who says, me want cookie, and you go, no, honey. It's not me. Me is a direct object. Yes. Apply yes. the first person. Right. <laughs> it has to be the subject form. Or really, we're talking nominative because our pronouns ultimately had those forms. Or take it yeah. one step. Well, yeah, and then I'll just keep going, right? right. Or, or take it one step further because this is what we've done in schools with grades. The child says, me want cookie, and you respond not until you can say it with proper grammar. <laughs> I mean, that would be cruel, it would be ridiculous, and yet we have been cruel and ridiculous mm-hmm. in the way that we treat grammar right. in our programs. And then we have to be like, what article goes there? I mean, it, just imagine trying to teach kids how to talk that sure. way. It, and, that, and that, you know, not to go back to the previous point, but that raises the stress level oh, incredibly. Yes, definitely. So one of the things that we have all sort of been coming to, to see in the evolution of our own program here is that there is a time and a place mm-hmm. to gently slowly mm-hmm. and appropriately teach the rules of the language. And we yes. do. We, but by the time they've gotten to the end of the first year, they've gotten some, some real basic rule giving over the course of a year. Into the second year, the third year, the fourth year, those become regular moments where we teach them the rules, we encourage them to take notes, we never test them on it, we right. always allow them to use their yep. notes when they're editing the work that they have already produced. I I told my threes today, well, not today, I told them this last week when we started. In level three, they're beginning to ask questions regularly about what things should be. And so we're doing um, a a day of grammar notes every other week, Mm -hmm. somewhere between half the period and the whole period. And um, I told them, I said, guys, we're building a resource. Mm -hmm. Right. We are Mm -hmm. building a resource. I said, and and I'm going to do my best to help you, but if you do it right, this is a resource that you can take with you. Right. And um, and I mean, then that's what that's what grammar really is: is that it's a resource. Like we can be comprehensible with really awful grammar. So grammar is really just a resource. Right. Grammar is not necessarily, and I'm going to say this, not necessarily required for language to exist. <laughs> hey, sure. You well, know, I can be I can be comprehensible with Rachel and, well, and have awful grammar. Bill Van Patten has explained several times in his uh, his podcast Tea with BVP that. 
grammar is sort of our rules that we apply to explain things we see happening in language. Yep. yep. But that's actually not usually what literally is happening within the language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can link that to That'd our notes awesome. for this thing. Yeah. Um, because he, he, I can link, he did an article that really, for me, like crystallized that whole concept. Right. This is how German actually works for this one thing that they call a reversal. Yeah. It's not a reversal. There's something completely different happening in the background. Yeah. 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 And we describe well, it with grammar. And exceptions, you know, are not really exceptions to the rules. They're just different ways of doing the same thing mm -hmm. that might not be as common or as popular as something else. I mean, we have super many examples of this in Latin just with the ablative and dative case alone. Right. You know, I mean, you know, so so I, that's kind of how my understanding of, of these things has developed as in I'm not teaching grammar rules. Yeah. I'm teaching various and sundry, met, not methods, but ways of doing this, and they right. all work. Right. They all work. Yep, yep. So, you know, I mean, at, at the risk of, of misstating um, a, a vast theory, I'm, I'm sitting here rem remembering that Num Komsky has this idea that every human being walks around from the moment they're born with a, a kind of a universal grammar in their minds, and that mm. as they engage language, they work out that grammar. And while I love that idea, I don't know that, that that it's very practical. What is practical, though, is what we're doing with our students when we say, keep these notes in some place mm -hmm. and use them when you need to. Right. What we're really sort of helping them do is work out their own personal grammar for right. this language that we're teaching. And that is practical. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to watch it develop. I mean, you, oh, yeah. Rachel, you and I are teaching these upper levels where we are actually are beginning to see it develop yes. and to see these, these kids kind of put it together and... And figure out what's working best for them. It's my, always it's always interesting for me to see that. My AP kids are doing fairly well with interpreting the language as we go. Right, so coming towards a closing now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so I just I want to cap it off. I mean, I, I, let me summarize this by saying these these five principles are important because when we observe them, students make progress, and when we don't, when we don't observe them, um, they they begin to that they don't. Uh, they don't acquire the language. Mm -hmm. And if this language that we love and teach isn't acquired by more people, it's going to disappear. Oh, yeah. I don't Definitely. want to see that happen. Oh, yeah. Right. For sure. For right. sure. So um, I just want to take this this opportunity to give um, uh, a little ad. And no, this podcast isn't sponsored by this product. <laughs> um, but you're uh, beginning this, this brand new thing that's about to come out. It's about to go live soon in the next yep. couple weeks here with CI Bytes. Yep. Do you want to say a couple sentences about what CI Bytes are? Sure. It's a, it's a, a twice-a-week um, blog, although it's not a blog post. It's a very short twice-a-week thing where I just try to rem give some CI reminders. When you go into your class today, remember mm -hmm. to point and pause. Yeah, you know, that it could be something as simple and short as that. In fact, that's one of the first ones that I've got sitting waiting to go out. They're very short. Um, most cases, less than three hundred words, less than two hundred words. Sometimes they're just one hundred and fifty words, reminding us of basic practices um, for the CI classroom as reminders. Because I need reminders. Yep. Uh, me today, too. as I was working on lesson plans, I went back through some lesson plans that we've all created in the last few years and. More head slapping. Oh, I forgot all about that. Why right. didn't I remember this? Yep. So these are just attempts to say, don't forget you can do this thing. Don't forget to look in their eyes. Don't forget yeah. to slow down. Yeah. Well, and, I, and these, I think, are important no matter where you are because you're how many years into your teaching career? 28. 28, yep. and you are? 
I'm on my 15th year. And I'm on my 8th year, and we still all make use of these things. Right. We, still we still all, all remind each other. Every so exactly, often. We exactly. have to re- be reminded. So thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. We have a special guest next time. Uh, John Bracey is going to be joining us from afar, um, and we will be um, talking to him and talking to him about what his uh, classroom looks like and how he uses comprehensible input in his classroom. Um, I would like to invite you to join our conversation. Um, a shout out to uh, Jason Talley, Longinus on Twitter. Um, I posed our topic for today and he responded to us and said, why not CI? Which <laughs> I thought go. was really cool. There you go. Um, so if you have questions, if you want to argue with us about it, you're more than welcome to. We invite you to, to join us on Twitter, hashtag stepping into CI, or check out the uh, website steppingintoci.weebly.com. We've got lots of great stuff coming out over the next few weeks. I'm going to try and not like drop it all on you at once, but it's going to be a steady stream of stuff over the next few weeks, so be sure to check it out. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye.